as always, if you don't have your Bible, the words will be projected on the screen and on the monitors. God's Word says, And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jerusalem the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in, the, in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of men came to about 5,000. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who were the high priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, By what power or by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. That is our scripture for this We saw that the theme for the book of Acts is that we are to be witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Last week, we saw that God gave the church the Holy Spirit so that the church could carry out an impossible task of witnessing to the known world then. We saw that there were generous people meeting together for prayer and for meals. They shared. We saw a beautiful picture of what it looks like to be the people of God. As we look at our responsibility to be witnesses, we need to remember that we're not the one who saves people. It's the Spirit of God. It's the Spirit who convicts people of sin. It's the Spirit who converts them to believers. And it's not us. We can't save anyone. But we need to be faithful to share the gospel with those around us. In recent conversations with a friend of mine who just happens to be a pastor, I learned that his, his wife's extended family, in it, there's none who are believers. Not one. His wife and, and her siblings grew up going to a, a church. It wasn't evangelical, but it went for a few years in their grade school time. One of the their, their niece, her nieces and nephews married an atheist who is so committed to atheism. Her parents are in their 80s, in their 80s, and they're not responsive to the gospel at all. And yet, over all these years, they've shared the gospel with the family. Then he shared with me also a couple of years ago that he did a wedding for a couple that weren't connected with the church. There was a connection through someone in the church. And then you see officiated the wedding, he gave the gospel of Jesus Christ and salvation through faith in him. And a few months later, one of the young ladies who was in a bridal party called him, and I want to talk to you about what 
what you said. And she came and met with this pastor and eventually she came to Christ. Then over time, several members of her family came to Christ. And I don't want to say this is the exact number, but I want to say that he baptized 14 people that year. They were all connected with this young lady. So here's someone who faithfully shares, he and his wife, with their family, and no one comes to Christ. And yet, in a chance, seemingly event, he shares the gospel in a wedding, and some 14 members of a family come to Christ eventually. We never know what God is doing in the lives of people. We're to be faithful to share the gospel and let the Spirit of God do His work. Chapter 3 of Acts opens with John and Peter headed to the temple to pray. In their minds, they were the true Jew because Jesus Christ was the Messiah, is the Messiah. And so they were going to the prayer meeting around 3 o'clock, and as they were going to the temple, one of the gates, this lame man, this beggar, of over 40 years, asked them for money. We know this story, probably. Peter's response was, silver and gold, I have not. But what I give you, what I have rather, I give you, the name of Jesus Christ, stand up and walk. Peter took him by his right hand and raised him up, and immediately it says that his feet, his ankles, were made strong. Then it says that he was walking and leaping and praising the Lord as he went into the temple. For those who have been sick for any time period, you know that when you're down for three or four days, you lose all your strength. I had the flu about a week ago, and boy, it hits. I felt like I couldn't even lift my head two inches to watch TV while I was sick. Those who've had surgery know that after you're in bed for a while that you lose all your strength. And those who work out on a regular basis with weights or do any kind of exercise you know that for two weeks that you lose so much of your strength. And yet, here's this man who had been lame for 40 years at least, and at John's, or Peter's words, his body was healed, life came into his legs, strength, muscles grew like that. You can imagine what happened as the crowd who had seen him and probably had given him money over these last 40 years or so, when they saw what happened with him, can you imagine the waves of gasp and maybe whispers and wonder as they saw him praising God and jumping and leaping? It says that he was clinging to Peter and to John, maybe out of fear, maybe out of gratitude, 
you see the church impacting the world through this feeling and through giving joy to this man in wonder. Peter first makes it very clear as he sees the response of the people. He makes it very clear that it was God who healed this man and not them. He says, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our power or our godliness we've made this man walk? The God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, the God of our fathers, he has glorified his servant, Jesus Christ. Peter then preaches Jesus Christ as the Messiah that the Jews had been waiting for, proclaiming that God was fulfilling what all the prophets had foretold in the Old Testament. In the midst of this, he confronts the Jewish people and Jewish leaders with their rejection of Jesus Christ and calls on them to repent and to turn back that their sins may be blotted out and that times of refreshing may come in the presence of God. I love that that your sins be blotted out, be totally removed. Chapter 4 Verse 1, we see that as Peter and John were before the people preaching God's word, the Jewish leaders came. It says that while Peter and John were speaking forth to the people, they were confronted by the priest, by the captain of the temple guard, and by some of the Sadducees. This says that they were very disturbed, they were upset that these men were teaching the people that through Jesus Christ that there is a resurrection of the dead. If you remember the Sadducees, they did not believe in the resurrection. Well, they arrested them. And since it was already evening, they put them in jail until morning. But it says in verse 4 that many heard the message that they shared and that now the number of believers totaled 5,000 not counting women and children so it could have easily been 10,000 they were arrested for sharing the gospel I want us to understand today as we go out and as we share with our family with our neighbors or with our co-workers I want you to understand that when the gospel is proclaimed, there will be people who will receive and believe, receive that forgiveness, that pardon for their sins. It may not be immediate. I still think of myself growing up unchurched, going to vacation, Bible school. From the time I was six years old, every summer, two or three different DBSs, I heard the gospel. I heard Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins. It wasn't until I was 25 years old that I put my faith and trust in Christ. But God's word never goes out in vain. And yet, just as there are those who put their faith in Christ, there will always be some, regardless of how we present the gospel, who will be offended by the idea that they need to be forgiven. They reject the idea that we're sinners, need of salvation. Here in the U.S., we may not receive the persecution that others in other countries receive, but they may mock us, 
They may harass us. They may put us down. Of course, in other parts of the world, if we go out as missionaries or share, they want to stop you in certain countries. They want even sometimes to kill those who put their faith and trust in Christ. It always has been and always will be that some will hear the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they will believe and they will receive by faith their salvation. At the same time, there will always be those who will reject the gospel. If we're honest with ourselves, there are times that we back off of sharing the gospel with people. We look and we think, uh, they're not, they aren't interested in the gospel. Their lives seem so together. If they're married, it seems to be a strong marriage, and their children seem to be so bright and so beautiful, and everything is in place. And if they're single, they have these wonderful jobs, or maybe a nice condo, and they're doing well. And yet we're honest with ourselves. We don't know what's going on in these relationships with people. We don't see necessarily their addiction patterns or their struggles with anger or their anxiety. We may, may not be aware of their broken relationships with people whom they love. They may be totally exhausted and ready to give up, depressed, you need so much to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ and the hope that we can offer to them. God has this way, doesn't he, of cutting to the very core of our being. He's able to remind us, whether we're believers or non-believers, of our need. He says to us, you have a lustful, wicked heart, or you're a liar, or... You love the applause of men, or you are slave to your own desires, or you are foul-mouthed, or you don't care about people. He does it in a gentle way, but get my point. He convicts us of our sin. And for the non-believer, his spirit offers the pardon for sins and forgiveness, salvation. For those of us who are believers, he cuts, doesn't he, to the very core of our being. He cuts to the very core. And he calls on us to repent of our sins. When the gospel is shared, there will be those who respond positively. That should encourage us. No, not everyone will come to Christ, for sure. We never know people are going through. For some, of course, it will not be the good news. Again, there will be those who are offended by the name of Jesus, offended by the idea that we're sinners in need of a Savior. They'd be offended especially by the belief that Jesus Christ is the only way to God. The Gospel says we're broken. You're broken. I'm broken. You can't fix yourself. That's offensive to some people. Chapter 4, verse 12 says, There is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven 
given among men by which we must be saved. So very clear, isn't it? It's so exclusive. And our culture and our world doesn't want to hear that. As we share the gospel, there be some who don't care about facts. They have their position made up already. Don't bring me, don't confuse me with facts. We see this with the Jews as they were responding to Peter and to John. It says in verse 13 of chapter 4, it says that they were amazed at the boldness of Peter and John, for they could see that they were ordinary men with no special training in scriptures. It says they recognize them as having been with Jesus. Isn't that powerful? They recognize them as having been with Jesus. But since they could see that this man who had been healed standing among them was there, there was nothing they could say. Verse 15 through 17 says that they went out, uh, they sent them, rather, John and, and, and Peter, out of the room so they could have a meeting, so they could work out a plan. They talked it over. They said, what can we do with these men? Everybody in Jerusalem knows what's happened. They knew. They know this lame man. He's been there for 40 years, and now he's walking, he's jumping, he's leaping. What can we do? He says, everyone knows that they have performed a notable sign from God. We can't deny it. But, so that it doesn't happen again, let's silence them. Threats, so they won't use Jesus' name again. Do you see their brazen response? They couldn't deny that Peter and John had healed in the name of Jesus Christ, this man who sat at the gates of the temple for 40-something years. They couldn't deny it. But when it happened, they didn't want it to happen again because it was done in the name of Jesus. Do you see their audacity? They see the truth. They recognize it's a sign from God. But they already had their minds made up. They don't want to believe. Verses 18, 18 through 20, they called them back into the room and they warned them that they were on no account to ever preach or teach in the name of Jesus Christ again. Peter and John responded with, Well, there's right in God's eyes to listen to what you, to you rather than to God, you decide. As for us, there's no question. We can't keep quiet about what we have seen and heard. We can't keep quiet about what we have seen and heard. As I read that, as I was studying, I had to ask myself the question, and maybe you can ask yourself that question today. Can you not be kept quiet about sharing about what God has done in your life, what you have seen Him do? I wonder what, if you and I were there, how would we have responded? I hope that we'd replied in the same manner. Here's 
Peter who denied Christ three times earlier, responding with boldness. I think sometimes as we read this, if we, if we aren't careful, we kind of let things slide by. But these men, these 70-some-odd men, these judges were the most powerful men in the city of Jerusalem. They're saying, don't speak in Jesus' name. And yet they said, we can't hold back. For us today, as we think about that, we'd be held in contempt of court. Would we be willing to do that for the sake of the gospel? I've shared with you, I think up here in various times, that when I was in college, I would lie awake at night, not wanting to go to sleep because I was afraid I would die and go to hell. I lived a certain lifestyle. As I said, I, I knew the gospel. I'd heard it from the time I was six years old. I knew that Jesus Christ died on the cross for me. I knew I was a sinner. I knew I needed to put my faith and trust in Christ. I didn't want to give up my lifestyle. I knew if I put my faith in Christ that He would be Lord of my life. I knew that. That meant my life had to change. There weren't a lot of Catholics down in rural Alabama, but there were a few who lived the same lifestyle. They'd get up after partying and they'd go to church and confess their sins. And they were, according to their theology, they were, they were good. And for a while I would think, maybe I should become a Catholic. Maybe I should become a Catholic. I can live my lifestyle and ask God to forgive me. And I know they're not all Catholics like this, but this is what, what I, I heard there. You see, I knew the truth. I knew the truth. I was a sinner. I needed to put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And I knew that meant to repent and to turn in a different direction. But I did not want to give up my lifestyle. And so therefore... I did not submit to the Lord. It took God working in my life in various ways to reach me. You see, these Jewish leaders, they knew, just like I knew, they had evidence. But they didn't want to accept it. They'd already determined their position in advance. They had their minds made up. It seems that they never even considered Jesus Christ's claims. They never said, hmm, maybe this Christ, this Jesus, maybe he's right. Maybe this is real. Instead, instead of considering his claims, they said, how do we crush this movement? How do we marginalize them? 
How do we do away with them? How do we make them look foolish? This was the heart of these Jews as they dealt with Jesus Christ earlier while he was on earth, you remember, in the various confrontations. They never seemed to get it. They continued to confront the sovereign God. And they always lost. They always lost. They never seem to say, though, maybe he's right. We keep losing. No. They didn't. See, they had their minds made up. We need to remember, first in our own lives, that God is sovereign. If we know Christ is our Savior, he is Lord of our lives. And Satan will hit us with lies. But he calls us to walk in the Spirit, to be filled with the Spirit. As we share the gospel with others, we need to be aware that people have evidence that, like me, like the Jewish leaders, they can refuse because they don't want to believe. Well, back in chapter 4, verse 21, it says that leaders renewed their threats to Peter and to John and released them. They couldn't come up with a charge that would stick to keep them in jail. It says that people wouldn't have stood for it. This man had been miraculously healed after 40 years of being lame. You see, again, they knew the truth. They knew they couldn't punish him because they knew they'd create a riot. He simply threatened them. If you name Jesus' name. We'll see that again today. Again, some accept the offer of forgiveness as we share the gospel. Others reject it and are offended at any discussion name of Jesus makes them angry. They want to marginalize. They want to mock. Maybe persecute and in different ways here. Or destroy those who embrace the gospel in other parts of the world. That brings us to a question that I think we all need that we have and that we need to struggle with is with a desire to be liked. I don't think there's anyone here that doesn't like to be liked. Is there? We, we like to be liked. But will we be men and women? Will we be children and youth who are rooted in the gospel of God's word? That means that sometimes that we won't be accepted in certain social circles. We won't be invited to certain events. Sometimes I think that we find ourselves wanting to give Jesus a makeover so he looks more acceptable because some people can't quite swallow him like he is. Back in Jesus' day, John chapter 12, verses 42 and 43 reminds us that we should not seek after human approval. It says that a large number of Jewish leaders did believe in Christ. It says that because of the Pharisees, they didn't come out and open with it. 
says they were afraid of getting kicked out of the meeting place. And when push came to shove, they cared more about human approval than God's glory. If we're honest, sometimes we want to be accepted in certain circles. God calls us to be willing to give up all things for Him. These Jewish leaders, they believed, but they couldn't make it known because of the consequences socially. I know it's hard sometimes. Sometimes we're seen as intolerant and hateful and bigots. And I know that there are times that people, that evangelicals, share the gospel in such ways that we come across that way. But not all Christians do that. Well, Frederick the Great once called all his generals together, and one of them, Hans von Zeiten, had responsibilities at church that night. Plus, there was communion. And so he declined. But later, he again was asked to come with Alexander, the, well, not Alexander, but well, Frederick the Great, as well as with the rest of his generals. And he came, and on that occasion, they began to make fun of him, to make light of his faith, his responsibilities, and about the Lord's Supper. And von Zeiten stood, and he said to his intimidating ruler, he says, My Lord, there is a greater king than you. And I cannot sit quietly as my Lord's name is dishonored, his character belittled, and his cause subjected to ridicule. And so with your permission, I shall withdraw. There was silence among the generals because they knew this could be death. This could be death. But Alexander, Alexander, but Frederick the Great, again, was struck by his courage. He begged him to stay. He said, I promise you I will never demean your faith again. May we learn to live in such a manner. We live in a world where we face opposition and we face a world that has become so pluralistic. Friday I was at Firestone down in North Avenue here getting some tires put on, ended up being both vehicles. But when I walked in to my right in the area where there's a TV and chairs, there were two young men on their knees. I noticed their shoes were kind of scattered here and there. They had their coats off and they were kneeling on them. And I thought, what are they doing? So I listened. There were two young Muslim men praying. I confess, I got a little angry at first because I thought, if that were Christians, if we were praying, if we were singing, we wouldn't be there. 
We live in a culture, we live in a world that's so very different than what it used to be. I'm sure that many of us heard this week that Duke University initially was going to have a a call to prayer for the Muslims once a week over their chimes, the system, because of pressure they backed off. Duke is no different from most universities. They want to be very politically correct. They want to be inclusive. It's okay that Duke didn't do it because UCLA has hopped in and they're doing this with the people over there. You see, we live in a culture that's so different. And sure, there's a mixture of fear regarding the Muslim. But also as we face the culture in general, there's that indifference or that animosity toward the gospel of Jesus Christ. So how do, how do we, how do you as an individual, how do I as an individual, how do we as the body of Christ function in a culture that is becoming more and more hostile to our faith? When Peter and John returned to the rest of the disciples, it says that they began to pray. They acknowledged God's sovereignty over all things as they prayed. And they said, Lord... Look upon these threats and grant your servants to continue to speak your word with boldness. And notice they didn't say, Lord, stop these threats. They said, Lord, take notice. We've been threatened. Give us boldness. Give us boldness to share. It says that when they prayed, the place where they were gathered were shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they spoke the word of God with boldness. As they were filled with the Spirit, their boldness increased. They did two things. They prayed for boldness and then they went out and boldly shared the gospel. As we began this new year, been interacting with the staff elders and with current over adult learning and we decided that we want to do something different. We, we see such a need for prayer and for a time period, maybe six months we're going to finish up the I think it's a five week series that current has started but after that we want to turn this first hour between nine and ten into a time to pray. And we'll have it here. We need to be praying. We need to be praying that we will be bold in sharing our faith. That doesn't mean that sometimes we won't use adult learning for a special class or for training. We want to pray for us that our hearts would be tender to God and they would cause us to be bold. As I think about the evangelical church, I think that there are two issues at least that we face. There are many more, but two things on my mind. The first one is, sometimes we buy into this lie from Satan that happiness is found outside of Christ. We know Christ, he's our Savior, he's our Lord, but as we watch TV and as we watch movies, as we interact with people around us, we kind of lose God's perspective and we think that happiness is found in other ways. We think that it's in something or it's in someone or if I go somewhere else, 
when we meet this special someone, we think that's going to be it. Some of us who've been married say, I married the wrong person. I need someone else. You see how fickle we are? But some just want to get that job. Then I'll be satisfied. For some, it's when I stop this behavior. For others, it's when I get accumulate some nice things or when I'm finally financially stable, then, then I'll commit myself to doing and serving the Lord. Maybe it's when I overcome all this, this anxiety I'm facing or my depression or it's, it's this difficult relationship I'm dealing with. And I, once, I'm, once I'm finished with that, God, then I'm, I'm all yours. You see, we buy into the lie that people Someone, something, someplace will satisfy. Then, after I get that, then I will focus on Christ. And you know it and I know it, but nothing satisfies except Jesus Christ. Not things, not people, not positions, not relationships, nothing. And as we pray, we need to ask that God would help us remember that truth. Secondly, as I think about the evangelical church and the culture that we live within, typically, sometimes we try to soften the stances of what the Bible says so we can reach people. It's a good desire. We see these things and we see our culture says that marriage isn't important or sex outside of marriage is so old-fashioned or abortion is so old and out of date to be against that. And so we, we think, well, how can we soften the, the Word so we can reach people for Christ? But you see, the real truth, the real issue is Jesus. It's Jesus. His denominations have sought to be more acceptable as they give in on what God's Word says. They find themselves on a slippery slope. Soon they're giving in on other things. And eventually, the work of Jesus Christ on the cross, the atoning work of Christ, is then removed. And the sad thing is, is, When the gospel is given, people's lives are changed. They're given hope, and yet we give in on that. Too often, people move toward a mindset, churches do, of feeding the poor and helping those who are suffering. And those are good things. And we do some of that here. But the most important thing, is that God's Word is our standard for life. It's not what TV says. It's not what the universities say. It's what God's Word says. The gospel must be our standard. And to back away from what God's Word says, just because our culture finds it offensive, is to weigh the white flag. Again, I'm not saying we're to be offensive purposely, you know, I've seen people who can be offensive, 
is they share the gospel. I'm not saying we're to be offensive in the manner that we approach people. What I'm saying, though, is, is we share the gospel. It is offensive. It's almost like we're saying God is creator. Doesn't know what's best for his creation. saying that creation knows more than God who created us. That's crazy. But even some evangelicals are saying, well, I know this is what the Bible has taught for thousands of years, but does it really mean that? In this world, do we... Can't we let couples just live together? We shouldn't really take a stance on it. We Let it go down the rest. It's most like some people say, you know what? God was kind of caught off guard. When he wrote scripture, had scripture written through men back then, he wasn't aware of what was going to be happening today. And he wouldn't have known how offensive his word would be to people today. That's how it comes across sometimes. A couple weeks ago I mentioned how I love to watch these TV programs that um, that change homes, homes that need to be bulldoze it over, remember? And they had the pictures before and pictures after. I love that. I, I, I love to watch them. And I think sometimes that we want to make Jesus over. We want to make him good. We want to make him acceptable to our culture. You see, Jesus is already good. He's already good. Christ said to the men who were ready to stone the woman caught in adultery, remember uh, John chapter 8? Remember they were already had the stones ready to stone this adulteress. And he said to them, as he was writing on the ground, we don't know where he was writing. Let him who first, let him who is without sin, throw the first stone. And it says that first the older men threw down their stones and walked away, and then the younger. And then after they had all left, Jesus looks at her. And he says, go. From now on, sin no more. Sin no more. See, Jesus confronted sin. He wasn't ugly. He confronted sin. Too often, I think, we say, who am I? Who am I? To say that you should not live that way. Who am I? 
But see, the truth is, is when we don't tell the truth, we're being cruel. We're being cruel when we say, you know what? I think you're right. That's what you desire. God made you that way. I never forget in college, even though I wasn't a believer, my best friend had gotten his girlfriend pregnant. And I knew the truth. And I struggled. And I finally gave in. I said, it's okay. Look at all what the world's doing around me. And I regret it. was a young man who came to Christ some years ago who struggled with homosexuality. His friends had just come to Christ also. And they told him, it's okay. It's okay. This is who you are. He battled with it for years. And finally, Realized he could not live that lifestyle long time. I want to assure you that we're not being loving when we tell people it's okay to continue in sin. We're never loving. Never loving. Even though our culture, the world, says yes. I think sometimes in our world we think that education does it all. There's this kind of peak in human life. You, know, you look back and these, these people in the past were so archaic but we become wise. We become wise. Yes. Education is helpful and I'm all for it. We can be better educated sinners but we're still sinners in need of a Savior. Sometimes we may think that we're smarter than God. We, we would never say it, but it's through our lifestyles that we live when we know the truth and we live otherwise. As I think of educated people, the, our universities are filled with people who are very foolish, Right? They're very smart. I still remember the University of Alabama in Birmingham, a hospital, rather, it was, who had this woman that she didn't get her tenure. So she came into a department meeting with a gun and shot and killed the chair of the department, along with two or three others. You see, education doesn't change people's hearts. Only the Spirit of God can change hearts. Education is great. Get it. But don't think education is going to make you a godly man or woman. We need to be gracious. We need to be loving. But we need to be bold. You and I have been pulled out of the muck and the mire, so to speak. And our feet have been set on the solid rock. 
We have life everlasting. We have hope. He's changed your lives. I know many of your stories. He's transformed us. We were headed this way. He turned us around in this direction. He gave us reason for living. He gave us purpose. And we shy away from telling others about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Sometimes people who are in despair, who feel hopeless and helpless. God says we should share with them. As we look at this book of Acts, why did Luke tell us this story? Are we to conclude that healing is essential with the gospel? If that were the case, then Jesus would have healed the whole Middle East, right? There had been no more deformity and disease there. We know that that wasn't the case and that wasn't Jesus' mission. Second Timothy chapter 4, verse 20, Paul writes, he says, I left Trophimus in a certain city, he said, because he's sick. Paul didn't heal him. In Galatians 6.1, we're reminded of Paul's problem with his eyesight. And he says, notice what large letters I use to write in my own handwriting. You see, healings were a sign. They were a sign. The Jewish leaders recognized it, remember? In chapter 4, verse 16, it says that they said, for that is a notable sign has been performed through them is evident. We can't deny it. And God still heals. He's healed people in our church. I don't know where Louis went, but our brother Louis, several times we've laid hands on him. The doctor said he could not live. He's living. We pray. We ask God to heal. It's up to him. It's up to him. God does heal. But the principle of death still operates. And this lame man, who'd been lame for 40 years, who leaped to his feet, who jumped with joy, he eventually would die. Eventually would die. See, the world around us continues to groan in pangs of childbirth, waiting for that day when all things will be made new. We live in a world that's been, been affected by sin. And I believe that this physical healing that took place is indicative of something much more. It's the healing of our souls and secondarily the healing eventually of our bodies, arisen bodies in the future. Elements of healing indicate also how Jesus forgives us. He commands us to do something we aren't able to do. I think of Peter. Peter says to the lame man, he says, rise up and walk. Rise up and walk. He says this to a man who was lame for 40 years. 
He couldn't do it. For years, someone had brought him to the gate. For years, he depended on other people. His purpose for living probably was just to survive. He had never stretched his legs out. He had never taken a run around the park. He had never taken a Sunday stroll after church around the community. Peter says, rise up and walk. Precisely the things he could not do. It's a picture of the gospel. Christ says, repent. Repent and believe. We see the truth is our hearts are hard because of sin, transgressions. And except for Jesus, through His Spirit, working calling us, we would never come. Sickness is a picture of what sin has done to us. It's just twisted us. It's battered us. It's distorted life. It's crippled our lives. Reducing us as poor beggars trying to find relief at this land. John six forty four, Christ says, No one can come to the Father. No one can come to me, rather, unless the Father draws him. You see, except for the Spirit of God working in our lives. We resist the truth of God's Word. Jesus' healings and those of His apostles authenticated Jesus as Messiah. It's a picture of what Jesus came to do. If you think of Lazarus when Christ healed him, called him out of the grave and he says I'm the resurrection and the life those who believe in me will live and never die in other words Jesus used this physical healing to convey spiritual truth physical death is a sign of spiritual death We need to ask God to give us boldness to share the gospel with those around us. We need to ask Him to give us a love for those who resist us. We need to ask Him to help us to see them as He sees them. We need to ask Him to give us an urgency to reach these people with the gospel be bold, unafraid. We need to understand that God's Word is powerful and it affects real people who struggle, who hurt, who are ready to give up. That's right.